Hello and welcome to episode 17 of Destroy Before Listening, which is part two of a conversation between myself, Pete Byrne and Graham Thompson. This episode is more like a case study of the groups I've been involved with, moving from the fast chaos and hardcore of Orinda Forest in the late 90s to the formation of Marzaran in the early 2000s, and then learning more about production with the ambient drone of RYN. We look at our involvement in the scene here in the 2000s. Also discussed here is the approach to DIY home recording and some Venom stories. Please rate, review, subscribe and share this. That would be great. Or follow on Instagram at DestroyBeforeListening. There will also be various links in the show notes. Thanks. The physicality and the sort of almost like confrontational aggression definitely was something that Orinda Forest had. I know from the time that I saw them, and that band must have come sometime fairly soon after yeah. Chinese Burn. And, and I think there was was it was there a band in the meantime called Curtis. Yeah, that was no, that was probably I don't know around the same time as Orinda Forest, but it was pretty much the same people, I think. Right, okay. That, that, that was like more the melodic hardcore thing. Yeah. But we we just, as soon as we heard the American stuff, it was just like, ah, fuck that. We, we went to doing the orange stuff. And that was that was the more of the, the like contemporary American bands. Yeah. We were just bang into it. That's 98, right? Yeah, I mean, we, the way it met uh, Rob and like Steve and Tony, it was through. They sort of classified to put up in record shops. Mm-hmm. You'd like pin up a thing, like bass player wanted or like whoever for it to do a band. Yeah. And then like next to nobody rang. I think those were the only people uh, I'd spoken to, maybe like one other person. Then it was like Tony was just down, lived, he didn't live like too far. He was in, like, in Bladen. It was like five minutes away, 10 minutes. So who put the poster up? You and Rob? Uh, no, it was me. I put posters up and I knew uh, Steve through that. Uh, so we, I knew he played the bass and then like Tony was like playing guitar and he was like oh I know, I know this uh, Kikunu can do drums so that was the the Chinese burn stuff I think right and then we just sort of decided we'd do like the orange stuff I don't really know how the musical instruments were allocated it was almost like we just thought like, oh, I'm doing this I'll do I can't really do it but I'll just do this I'll try this and then well going back to what we were talking about earlier on about it instruments and, and getting into it and that kind of thing you played drums in that band and your drumming in that band was awesome so where did you start with the drums you must have you must have played before just, that band no not really no, it was it was just uh i mean i knew i used to kind of like i suppose air drummed a bit the the melodic hardcore stuff because that was like as a, a tempo you could kind of understand yeah but then when it was like a few years later it was just like all right I don't know, I can sort of like, I'll, I'll try it. And then Rob wanted to try vocals, I think, and he was playing the drums, so simple as that, really. And it was kind of learn as you go. Everyone just learned, we learned, didn't know anything about anything, really. Just There wasn't much by way of influences that we particularly agreed on, other than it was just had to be kind of confrontational and just out of control. Because we were, I mean, me and Tony, we, we were big, like, in the, and Rob, I suppose, like, it was the... Void and uh, Dekreutzen and uh, Deep Wound and things, you know, they're just the fast 
out of control stuff and then the gravity records things. Yeah. And then with the then Robert, I think Rob and Tony come up with this thing like harsh core. That was what <laughs> we were going to play. Well, that was what it was. That was the the kind of it was more of an artistic thing, maybe. It was just like a conceptual thing. We've got this thing, we'll just do harsh core. That just involved us being kind of kids and pissing people off and being out of control and not really giving a fuck. It definitely you definitely achieved what you were trying to do. Well, if we achieved something then <laughs> it was that. The one time I saw you it was at the Cumberland Arms and that was we've talked about this many times before, but that was where within ten seconds of starting the set, you'd knocked over all the mic stands. The guy who was doing the PA grabbed I think it was Steve by his like collar screaming in his face then rob was rolling around the floor he got kicked his wallet chain got stood on and broken i think he lost his wallet and then somebody belted him in the face and you only played for about 15 <laughs> minutes all and, and that all happened in that time it was i think it was because because i'm sure it was like steve was doing his like just going into the audience and like fucking provoking people you know like by like hitting them with his bass kind of thing and just Waving his bass around and stuff, and then yeah, Rob was a, running into people as well. It yeah, was it was thing, but it was just like a, I remember that gig as being a specifically as being a like a it was just bad vibes, man. If it, yeah, from the very start, it was bad because we knew what we were going to be doing or what we were going to be playing. People weren't going to like it, and we had we had the mentality of like, well, there's us four who we're going to do it, and we don't really care about what other people think and what other people are going to do. We just wanted to kind of get a get a reaction, I suppose. There was definitely a, a, a weird sort of antagonistic vibe. You basically, well, com- now I think about it, you, yeah. were the, you were the first hardcore band I ever saw, and it was on a bill that was largely metal bands, like local bands, and there was a few tour yeah. bands. I know Canvas headlined, unfortunately, I missed them. So they, you know, they were kind of, they were metal, but they were hardcore too, but... It was just you. You sort of stood out a bit on the bill, and, and it, the metal crowd. And, and when I'm talking about metal, well, it, it was like it, new metalish, almost the, the, like we're just the, not into it. Well, there was a kind of straight edge band. Well, I mean, I can't remember. Maybe Vengeance of Gaia played it, or like no, nah, it was seconds. thirty seconds until Armageddon. Thirty seconds, right? Or well, it's it was just a, like a pissing contest. I think <laughs> you know that's essentially what it was. It was just like a, a bunch of like people who were testosterone flex and hardcore you know yeah and we thought like we'll just come in and fuck with the kind of old guard even though they weren't they were probably only like you know a couple of years older yeah 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 i guess so i mean at this age now it makes absolutely zero difference but yeah we're like we're the new the new wave we just don't we're gonna do what we're gonna do and uh we did it i mean the first gig we played was with uh sawn off all right that was the that was the sort of crowd that we fitted in with really this kind of like the kind of crust from things. Yeah, we played it. We always played with like Scales. He'd always put us on with uh, those bands because he liked it. And uh, like Flat Earth, it, there was that uh, that end of things. They appreciated what we were about and things. And then there was like Red Monkey and uh, Slumped, like Pete Slumped, Pete yeah. and Rachel. They were like a home for us as well. You know, they they were kind of like the the people who we aligned with. So we didn't really. It wasn't so much about like the heart they anything to do with a scene or anything for us. We were just like, oh, well, we thought we were, we always thought we were just a kind of a hardcore band anyway. But you know, other people didn't take it that way. I don't think. Yeah. Also, what, locally. 
So, Orin the Forest only lasted a couple of years and you did the demo tape and then you did the split 12-inch with Jazz Finger. Yeah. And then that kind of disappeared fairly well, quickly, it, didn't it? It, it? it died as soon as it, as quickly as it probably started. It yeah. just kind of, it had like night till 98, 99, 2000 and then it was just done. We sort of like, we had that batch of songs uh, for the split LP and we'd, like there was me and Tony had practiced that stuff like really, really, really fine tuned it, really went over it, like just practiced all the time for this, you know, really concise sort of, you know, handful, you know, something like 12, 30 minutes or something. Yeah. I think Steve was in America or something at the time. So he didn't really know any of the bass parts and like Rob didn't have any vocals or anything yet. And then it came together pretty quickly because we, we we just said, oh, we've got this, me and Tony were like, oh, we've got this stuff and uh, we'll just record it. And then we did. And then I think we played a couple of gigs and then it just sort of like, just didn't happen. We just like, we had a practice one, one time or I had to practice somewhere different and it just, it just didn't, just, there was just nothing. <laughs> yeah. It was a strange thing about it. It was like, everyone was just wanted to do something else. Than Fair enough. That's, what it's, the other people were doing, you know. I guess it's kind of natural at that age, though, isn't it? Just you, go, age. you go through things pretty quickly. You like at that age, don't you? Yeah, completely. It was like Rob's. Well, I'm want to do drummed in some like indie bands or something. Tony's like, well, I want to be a, a vocalist for some like uh, band. And Steve was just playing bass in like a pop punk band. You know, it was just serotone. Yeah. Well, no, there was uh, Servo was the band. Right. Uh, after that, and they were, they were like, I think they're quite popular. And they, he played around because he had a, he had like a bass, full on bass rig and everything. It was like China Drums Tour and bass rig. That name rings a bell, Servo. I don't, I never saw them, but the name does ring a bell from around that time. And uh, th- and kind of that was that. And then just started. Then I think it didn't really end. It maybe it was the maybe it was two thousand one that we stopped doing it or. That was the year when everyone just thought like went off and did different stuff and different things happened. But yeah, it was just a, a short lived, like burned pretty quickly and I can appreciate it now. I mean I've always thought like it was cool, but then I hearing it again I was like, oh yeah. Man. So it's only a few years later that you that Marzaran starts and from what you said earlier on, ty, uh was it tire iron? Yeah. It was almost like the conduit That's one a, for Marzaran, is it yeah, is that it, right it, in a sort way? Of a, it's sort of a bridge. Yeah. In retrospect, when I think about it, because uh, I think I was trying to do stuff on a bass because, like, someone gave us a drum machine. I was trying to work this drum machine and I couldn't, and then I was just getting kind of frustrated. And then, then I was like, and Marzaran was like, th- that was a kind of a weird way that that band came about because it wasn't really meant to be a band even or like play live or anything because it was, there was like a, a zine, uh, 4D, I think it was, and then. I don't know. Lobster gives a he gives a copy of it, and like I'd sent them a record to review. I think whenever the record came out, and then you know like Lee uh, Stokoe, it he read that magazine. Well, there was his stuff in it, you know, and it was this kind of contacted him via through the the mail, really through through this or through a zine. So and you, then, you and Lee had gone to school together, and he was doing Culver, and you'd been doing Orange the Forest and Tire yeah. Iron and what have you. And then no, we you, didn't. We didn't know completely different 
I mean, we were aware that like each other existed, I think, and that was about it. And then, then this sort of zine brought things back together, and we thought, like, I said, I sent him a, a letter or something, just saying, oh, or whatever it was, just saying we should do something. Because I didn't really know even what he, I didn't really know what he did. Yeah. And we just did some like bass kind of drone and feedback and things. And then started like talking about various bands, weren't you? Because he was like into, like big into Earth. And that was kind of the the, the thing that was going on, I suppose, at the time was like Sun. Right. And uh, people were listening to that kind of thing. So Marzaran starts around about 2002 and initially it's just you and Lee, is that right? Yeah. So how did you two get together enough to, I mean, you know, start something and then make a recording? Well, I don't, I don't it was just, uh, we'd recorded this stuff and Lee'd always like, he'd do a mix and give us the kind of CD, burn a CDR and like, uh, listen to it. So there's, there's lots of, uh, there was lots of stuff burned I remember all these CDRs of stuff and then we, it was like, oh, this thing's like pretty good, you know, I kind of did something here or this is a track or had sort of riffs in some of them that were uh, planned. Because this is just guitar and bass, right? This was two basses. Oh, right. Okay. And we did that for for till, for about a year or till the end of the year. And we put out this uh, CDR, it was like a, a pro printed thing. We did a sleeve for it and everything and like, there was this place in Ireland that would like copy up like hundred CDRs. They would just like professionally like put the print on them and stuff. Yeah. Uh, because it was when the burners were so they were still like really unreliable. You know, you could just kind of if you burn five off, probably one of them might work. Yeah. The other like four would just be doing it at home. Problems, yeah. Doing it on your computer. So. So what was was d- that CD? Is it Mammothus? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. We, we just kind of. I don't know, word of mouth really, just kind of, we did a hundred of them and then they just like, they just went. So I thought like, oh, that's interesting. Then someone's like, oh, you got, uh, got play, you got to play or do do a gig. And we're like, oh, well, well, I suppose we'll try. And the first, the first thing we did, it was like this weekend thing. It was like loads of bands on and uh, the haters were one of the bands, obviously like Gillum. Gillum and it, Redman? Yeah. And we were playing and like Gillen was setting up his drums. I, I mean, I'd known him before that and he knew like what we were about and, you know, the earth thing. And he, he'd like the CD that would, the recordings. He was into what we were doing and he was just like setting his drums up when we were playing. And then uh, I remember looking back and thinking, all right, it came up just like, fuck off, you know what I mean? We were meant to be playing. <laughs> not setting any drums up. And he was like putting his cymbals on. And then the next thing I heard was this like, like a cymbal wash coming through. And I was just like, oh, yeah, right. Then he did that. Oh, I don't know. If, and then he did, just like did some drum fill or something. Wait, like invited himself into your set? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> he just total, totally jacked the set, yeah. Which is like, you know, if you know him, he it's totally the kind of thing that he'd do. I mean, or if anyone's going to hijack your set on the drums, if it's the Gillum... I'm not bothered, yeah. yeah I'll, I, was, I just thought it was like... cool. I thought it was funny. <laughs> but then I look back and he's playing, and I was thinking, oh, this fucking cunt, you know what I mean? Just playing drums and that, what do you think he's doing? And then he's like, ah, oh, it's all right, that. And at the end, we finished, and I was like, oh, yeah, I thought you were just setting your drums up. And he was like, yeah, yeah, but uh, I was getting into it, you know, so I just thought I'd have a go on that. And I was like, 
So I suppose the first time we played, he was playing the drums. That's mad. Uh, unofficially or whatever, you know. They, then I kind of switched to, I don't know, I thought I'd get a drummer because it's like kind of came in contact with Rob again and it was like, oh, I said, oh, do you, do you want to play drums and I'll, I'll play guitar or something now and we'll kind of do do a band. And that's how it happened. So where where did that decide to switch to the guitar come from? Just just to make it more just, of a just, quote just unquote listen. traditional band setup. Probably yeah. I was just listening to Black Sabbath, uh, Master of Reality, and uh, I was trying to figure out the tuning of it because I had it in like my guitar was in a standard tuning, and I was like, oh yeah, this is in like uh, you drop it down. Mm-hmm. It was like two steps or whatever. Yeah. To because um, that's what I used to tune it to, and we don't we we just kind of that that's the reason for that and then 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 we just played with Rob and then did some recordings and that was like early 2003 because that it's interesting with that band looking at the recording history and, and what have you because you, you did sort of I don't know three or four of your own recordings I mean one of them only came out a year or so ago which is you know in my <laughs> opinion the best stuff you ever did well but, yeah it totally was but nobody it, it didn't come out till now so it took which is not long criminal and but 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 there's a lot of it, it, the, the cool thing about that band is is that you can there's a really obvious progression from the beginning through to what you know what the last recordings of you know it, it changed quite a bit but there's a you gigged fairly regularly but you also had enough support from labels and and what have you to the to the point where there's there's a there's you know there's like um a compilation for like when you were only like five <laughs> years in of live stuff and what have you there's a bunch of un what what you would say unofficial stuff, but it's you know labels like fucking amateurs and what have you recording your live and for for a band that I mean you lasted six years, which are, for some small bands is is a reasonable amount of time. But there's there's a lot of recordings out there, whether it's studio recordings or live recordings, and it's I, I find that quite interesting. You definitely had a a small but pretty loyal following from early on. I think. Yeah, well, that's just because it was there wasn't really any, any any other bands doing it. You know, I mean, there was only. Like a handful of British bands, uh, like in the early two thousands, was like uh, Moss were doing things. Uh, it was like a kind of Matador who they came up and they were on like the Boris tour, and Boris had played at the time, and then we played with them. Okay. Knowing like Al from At War with False Noise, uh, he'd ask us to like go up to Glasgow and play, and like uh, Black Sun were they were around. So we we played with them like a number of times and there. Uh, yeah. It was kinda like Ramses in London and that's that that was about it really. I mean there wasn't really But there was it that. wasn't really hard to make an impact or whatever or to It was it was it was a, it was sort of a good bit of coincidental time and that it was around the time when Sun in particular, was starting to become really popular, weren't they? And they also started touring the UK. Like, I know they played the Cumberland Arms when I was living down in Leeds and what have you. So it was the right, a little bit of good timing as well, wasn't it? Really, that you were doing the right thing at the right time. Yeah, I mean that that Sun thing we like promoted that. I don't even remember. It was like it was via the Southern Lord uh, forum that was initially. It was on the Doom Metal. It was like a sub sub forum of the doometal.com and then it became its own forum. And I think somehow it was was in touch with Stephen O'Malley. Mm-hmm. And then he was asking about like, oh, I just totally need to do a, a gig or like play a show when uh sun comes over, we want to do a tour. And this was two thousand three. And he said and he was like, I totally want to play with 
uh, Jarswinger and Trollman and like Mars Run and stuff. So we just ended up doing that and then I think we played with them again the following year or so. So is yeah, this, because just... he did the artwork for Solid State, so is this before or after that? Or like, did that, this, did is you... a, this would be after, I think. After, yeah. Okay. So you, did you tap him up to do that originally or were you already in sort of conversations with him? Was he already a fan before he... I, I don't know. I just kind of knew of it and then I had, had this idea for the sleeve and like nobody really knew how to do the layouts and that of what we wanted to do. And then it was like, oh, we'll, we'll kind of ask him because he's he's like a designer who designs record sleeves. Yeah. Well, that that was that simple, really, because no one could. Because <laughs> it's like I a crucifix I'm... gatefold kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, it was just a bit ridiculous, like ambitious. This idea, and I thought, like, well, who could do it? We know, well, I suppose. Yeah. None of us could do it, so ask someone who does it. Yeah. Who can do it? No, it's a, it, it's a great, it's an awesome cover. It works really well. Well, yeah, it was totally because uh, I think it's like a Danzig album sleeve. I know there's a test department one that folds out like that. No, no, don't, no, no. Let's backtrack. You said Danzig. You meant Danzig. Oh, I, don't try and be cool about it. It was Lucifuge, wasn't it? Well, it probably was. I mean, I've <laughs> never heard it. I knew Danzig did one. After Mammothus being the first recording when it was just you and Lee, the first band recording, and we've just talked about the artwork, but is that Solid yeah. State? That's the first one as a band. Well, we've recorded stuff on, like, four tracks. Like, Lee was big into four tracks. And, uh like before that, like the orange stuff was recorded on a four track as well. Recorded that stuff. I remember. Well, there's a story there because it's like we turned the house. The parents, I think, had gone on holiday for the week, so we're just like, oh, we'll record an album in the house. <laughs> so we'd like uh, just took the living room to bits, turned the table on its side, and that would put that in front of the drums as like a baffle kind of thing. And put a mattress up against behind the drums, and then like used two sort of like settees to isolate the guitar and stuff and then Rob was in the kitchen doing the vocals so we knew how to kind of record stuff or we could do like home recording was a possibility so that's awesome I didn't know that just, yeah it was just it was it was funny we like we pissed the neighbor well the one of the neighbors it was really funny I remember having to go around and like just sweet talk this this because he'd leave these answer phone messages like raging answer phone messages about like the noise and everything. And I remember going around there and like having to sweet talk his wife and things. I was just saying, oh, I'll just be like, you know, another half an hour will be done and that. And uh, three hours it, later, you're still yeah, screaming. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. I didn't know you'd done that in the house. I, I don't, because I, I, I was looking at the LP the other day and I don't remember seeing any credits on there for recording or anything like that. <laughs> I didn't realize you'd done it in the house. That's, uh, that's awesome. So that was a possibility. So we're just saying it continued on for, for Mazran, really. I think it was done in the, a closed circle, really. It was just like the two. There was like bass, guitar, drums was in the middle, and they, all the amps were facing the drums, and uh, we just recorded it live like that, really. And this is solid state. Yeah. So who recorded <laughs> the album? Oh well, it was us, really. Uh, it was Lee's four track, and I think I had some microphones, and it, it wasn't really. I don't know if it was meant to be an album. We just kind of like recorded some stuff that we had, and then we thought like, oh, we'll mix it and do an album. So we kind of had this process. Well, it was kind of the the starting of our way in. So it was so like this we must, must have Dean, is it? Had met Dean at a gig, and he'd had like the kind of digital end of recording, or he he was doing stuff on the computer and like 
we just decided we'd do something because I didn't know much about his background other than like he did some noise I think and I'd seen him around and he, he just had like loads and loads of pedals like dozens of pedals and we just fucked around and then I went over to his one day and then he had like a, a mixer he was recording and it was Cool Edit Pro. Oh yeah. <laughs> so we did so we'd like with the Marsman stuff we uh, put the four track we just like recorded into that we'd like hooked the four track up to the mixer and then just recorded it into Cool Edit Pro and then just like mixed the album. Yeah, that'll do the job, like that way. Definitely. Yeah. Managed to do it. I mean, I imagine it, it, I remember it being a headache doing it and it took like three months to do it of just mistakes and trying to learn how to mix things. Yeah. It was hard, but yeah. Was Dean doing romance already? Yeah, he was. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the sort of favourite sort of Mars Run gigs we did was at the, uh, well, it was actually, it was at the Top of Shield Road. It was the Lord Clyde Hotel it was at the time. Yeah, I uh, remember. And there was like Warhead, the Japanese hardcore band. Dean was playing and we were playing. And I remember he set up this like long table and just put all these pedals on it. And then he like had this bit of sheet metal that he put around his shoulder. Yeah, I remember this. He just like contact mic'd it. And yeah. He just did this like three, it was like three minute set or something. <laughs> of like harsh noise. <laughs> I remember just seeing him do it. the same thing upstairs at the Chillingham Arms in Newcastle as yeah. well. Never just, seen anything like it. No, it was just, it, and it was such a like a strange bill, but at a, a strange venue, and there was all like these kind of just eat up kind of charvers really, <laughs> and just like loving it because they were all like just buzzing that someone was using this like shitty room in the in the bar that they had, which just kind of came in like there was about like. I don't know, 30, it wasn't that big. It was like 30, 40 people. It was just fun, you know. So I, I remember we played a gig together in Leeds in about 2006, maybe. Yes, five, six. At the, yeah, um, at the Pack Horse, where I was yeah. playing with Ultra Shit Inferno, but you did a set where it was Mazaran and Romance. So yeah, was we, that a one-time thing, or did you do that yeah. a few times? Or No, that we, we just used to do stuff like that, kind of one-off, just like, oh, there's here's a good idea. We'll just... Dean's meant to be playing this thing and we meant to be playing this thing so we'll just like do it together and he'll like open and play for 10 minutes or whatever and we'll just kind of play in with our first track then that was it it was just a good set on all yeah it was just a good idea good uh it, it paid off you know yeah it was that when that sort of thing was crossing over anyway because there was the the southern lord forum there was just like so many people from this area that were on that we kind of were in bands and did stuff locally and there was like the harsh fest as well down at the time oh yeah yeah I remember and that. that's kind of where everyone met up and kind of the, the early days of everything these early newcastle gigs so the the, the crossover of whenever it was more it was just any anyone who was experimenting me i suppose it was experimental music so people were just kind of it's like why not experiment with lineups because that was a few years earlier. Because that was, I remember that was around oh, about two thousand and three ish. Yeah. Because yeah. that was the first time I'd seen pretty much everyone on that bill. I, I'd seen Gin already. I think I'd saw their first couple of gigs. So I'd, they might have been the only band I'd ever seen. But I saw, you know, sort of seeing you guys and seeing Jazz Finger and a bunch of others was the first time I'd ever come across anything like like that really at the time. Um, and that was Rob who did that festival, I think, wasn't it? I think it was a kind of cobbled together sort of idea, and then it became this legendary type 
thing for people when they look back. It worked. It was, it like, was a good day. Gillan was playing with Snot Nosed and like Trollman played Jazz Finger and I can't remember who. There was like about 10. New Future Cowboys. Yeah, I remember watching Well, I think I remember seeing that band and there was like some hardcore bands. Well, Jane, obviously. Jane, yeah. I don't remember um, who went on last. Was it Skullflower? Maybe. I, don't I think now. I think there was two Skullflower sets. Right. I know and Jazz Finger were fairly late on from memory anyway. I mean, it's a long time ago. I know New Future Cowboys were on pretty late because <laughs> it took them about an hour to set the drums up and take them down again. Was that band something to do with Venom or something? Or so something? the drummer in that band is, what's his real name? I think in Venom his name was Anton. Oh yeah, it's Tony Land. Yeah, so it's Conrad, uh, it's Kronos's brother. And then right. I think, I don't know that he was in Venom at that time, but he was in Venom. I don't think he was. He was in Venom like a few years yeah. later. And yeah. they now famously detest each other and w- won't speak to each other. And they like, I don't know what happened, <laughs> but they just like, they've cut all ties between each other. But yeah, he, he was, he is the brother of Kronos. Okay. But they were basically yeah. a new metal band, weren't they? Really? That's. I think from what I remember, yeah. I don't even know how they came to be on that bill, but it was pretty funny like who knew them to ask them to play is interesting i I don't know i mean it was just stuff just things like that just happened it's as it was like a random selection of whoever would it's like do you want to we know some kid who does something and does he want to play yeah just put people on like that really yeah like somebody will have known somebody in that band in fairness like that drummer guy i've i've met him a bunch of times and actually I before I joined my first proper band in 1998, I auditioned for his band, which was the most surreal experience. So he was in this band called Sanity's Edge, and I'd done what you did, which was put round an advert in the music shops looking for like a guitarist looking for a band. And one of the influences I put on there was Pantera, amongst all this other stuff, because I was like into my metal at the time, and they picked up on that. And I was 15 and they, God knows how old they were, like well into old. their 20s, probably <laughs> yeah. early 30s. I don't know how much older they are than me, but uh, I went down and like, they get, I met this guy in, I met him, Kronos's brother, Tony, in, in Pet Sounds. He gave me the cassette tape demo and I went and learned these four songs and then I had a rehearsal with them and it was just totally weird. It was off the back of Westgate Road in Newcastle where all the bike shops either used to be or still are, I don't know. There was this. Are they still there? There's about two or three bikes. The most last time I kind of was in that area, you know, yeah, which was like start of the year. I think I just went up for a look. I was like, let's see how this this kind of place has changed. And what I remember, though, like the West Road, it was like uh, it was kind of fucking greasy spoons. You know, you yeah. get like a boiled burger up yeah. there, and, and like just horrible cafes and like dirty bike shops and things and. Well, that was it. And around the back side of it, on the on the Newcastle Brewery side, there was like a yeah. back alley, and they had this rehearsal space where you went through the door, and it was like a sort of a really, I don't know what it was, like a really big garage space, I suppose, and there was a tank, like a full tank. <laughs> and then next to the tank was where they rehearsed, but there was other bands rehearsing in rooms adjacent to them and stuff. And I was this like young kid, 
15 like totally out of my depth kind of thing but i'd learned the songs like it was just rhythm guitar and like there was fairly simple metal stuff and i'd learned the songs but i spent a day with them like rehearsing and then going around like went had a walk around town and went to a cafe for a coffee and i basically didn't say anything the whole day because i was just a shy well i'm I'm too shy but i was this young kid with all these older blokes and then i went down for the rehearsal the next week and i just sort of said oh i don't think it's for me and they're like yeah fair enough i think they're probably pretty pleased and they're like but to be fair to you you were the only person who who has come to these rehearsals who's learned all of our songs so fair play but i'm pretty sure venom used to rehearse in that same place around the same time and it would make sense because it was his brother but i'm not sure if that's entirely right but i'm fairly sure it is okay gotta get the venom stories out well you've just you've just got uh, i was just thinking there as you you, venom came up you know i'd remembered back to newcastle had a a squat for about a month or two months oh really it was longer than yeah it was like 2000 it was just down from where the fire station is before you get to the like the big this one I was talking about, yeah. And uh, just before the oh BS, the Bank of Scotland thing that they've knocked down now, there was this builder. I don't know why it was squatted, but it was like it seemed like a pretty impossible thing that there was a squat in the centre of Newcastle. And I remember there was gigs there for a bit because like I remember Oren played one. The, the the generator was like you know two the, these two hippie guys you know like dreadlocks who run this uh, bikes that powered like a battery generator that kind of would power the band <laughs> and then this this fuck this basement area was like I remember going down there before we played maybe kind of went to this building a few times you know and the it it turned out the bottom of the uh, or the basement used to be a, like a practice space as well for these neat records bands oh, right. because there was like graffiti on the walls it was a big like on one room it just had like avenger or something that used to be in their <laughs> practice room and there was like this venom graffiti saying stuff around the place like uh chronos is a twat or something you know like graffiti like right. that just kind of scrolled around so this must have been this kind of like big space that these metal bands at one point in time i was completely unaware of that i didn't know there was such i mean i was still in newcastle around that time and, and going to gigs I, I, I missed that one big time i don't remember it that was where the the sawn off thing uh obviously scales was like well into it and uh like uh, pete dale right was in, was really involved with that uh squatting and right. it, i think it's the only oh, i don't know any time it's happened since or before it was just a, like an interesting period in underground there was only a couple of couple of gigs on there i think and it just it got shut down pretty quickly in there yeah i'm sure it was on the local news it's no big surprise in that area right in the city center but i'm yeah i'm amazed that there was even one there completely yeah yeah Yeah, that's my venom story anyway so dean did dean help to mix the solid state record is that I don't know, I always guess it was my idea well, well, to try it because we were doing stuff on the computer anyway. And then it was kind of the, the RYN stuff was, uh, that lasted a, a good while, really. I mean, 2003 to 2011, we did it. All right. And there's three full length things that we did, or maybe two. I've got two. There was, I didn't, there was two CDs and there, there was an album as well that we did like the last thing and then there was some other just incidental things and that was the focus really I mean for a lot of the time I mean as much as I look back and think like the band stuff it's like that was 
as important or more important than that because it was it was more the freedom to experiment with the guitar side of things and we didn't really know what we we're doing anyway what it was what it would be called or you know it, it was we just thought it was like ambient music but uh, you the, the pair of you kind of experiment a lot with and in sort of upped your chops in terms of production techniques and, and that kind of thing, didn't you? It was kind of a a playground for oh, it, music it production. Completely, it, yeah, it was probably more more uh, an idea of that, of like just how to mix something or record something or like what sounds wrong about this and why is that? How can it be improved upon? And we spent like just hours and hours and hours and hours over this these sounds and these getting these like a lot of it came from like a field recording or a guitar and we used a lot of like ebo and there was a load of kind of uh just processing and then like enveloping and then we do these big long things and then just see the kind of like uh how like sounds would interact with each other and like how, how you could mix them and like I, I don't really know. There was there wasn't really a an aim. It was just like done till something felt finished. Yeah, and that that was all all it was really. Which is pretty so, rewarding in itself. And it, 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 like maybe even more so if you're not quite sure what you're doing, and then you kind of you do this thing and it works and it sounds good and you're happy with it. It's you know it's pretty gratifying and rewarding in its own right, isn't it? Really. Yeah, well, I mean, we we would do we did it regardless of whether anyone was there, going to put it out or was interested in it. We did it for a few years before that happened. We were like, oh, we don't want to put a tape out. We don't want to put a CDR out. Nobody, I don't think nobody asked us anyway. But then it was like we'd be doing about two years and sending like some recordings off to like labels that we thought. Well, we did. We just didn't know anything about. Anything really, we just sent some labels that we thought were interested in doing this kind of thing. And uh, Drone Records in Germany just said they wanted to do something. And we were like, oh, fuck, out of nowhere. It was kind of like 2005. It it was a pretty high bar because they only released seven inches by like these kind of either really obscure things or like kind of stuff that was higher profile. For a label called Drone Records, the seven inch format seems completely at odds with what I assume they were trying to do. Well, I don't know what they were trying to do, and we didn't really know what they were trying to do. We were just like, oh, someone's into it, and yeah. they've, they've got like this group, Troom, who we'd, uh, we liked their stuff as well, because it was similar to what we were doing, just kind of experiment with guitars and sound. And we knew like Brian Eno and James Plotkin, and that was like the only, that was all we knew. We didn't know anything else. It was just kind of influenced. It wasn't really influenced by anything specific, yeah, mus- musically or whatever. It was just like a, an idea thing, like a concept, I suppose. But but it's 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 interesting that it's a, like a production sort of almost like a production team rather than a, a band that I, yeah, I presume well, you never played live. Or am I wrong in that? Or I mean, we did something once or twice, maybe, but it wasn't like okay. as our way in because that was just like oh. Well, that's how we do this is is completely different to how we try playing live. Yeah, that's kind and of what I mean. Like be, the RYN yeah. thing was un- unconsciously just a studio effort and Well it was completely learning how to like fuck on in that yeah. setting or whatever and that, that that was it. 
which is awesome to have an avenue to do that kind of thing, I suppose, because you know most people have bands or have their own thing, and they that's what they do. But for you and Dean to be able to like sit down, I assume smoke a ton of weed and just try and do some sort of soundscape kind of stuff is that's pretty that's pretty interesting. It was just a, a anything excess really. It, it was just like say how it affects whatever you do. And I don't know. We we stopped doing it at the end because we just used to get so we'd have to get really you know, in a, in a different state. Like, we, you know, was drinking and smoking weed and fucking just get totally fucked. Yeah. And then record some stuff and then not even know how we've done it or we've done and not really care anymore and just think, well, we should just do this anyway and uh, we don't have to record anything if we don't want to. We yeah. Just hang out. <laughs> and not not do things. But I don't know, it just, that that was that. So with Marzaran, you, you like I said, like we were discussing before, you kind of you were going for, you know, it's like six or so years, and and I had like a, a good amount of releases and that kind of thing, and then you did this last batch of what was it like five or seven recordings or what have you that never got released, and then you kind of just, I don't know, did did you just stop or because, well, we'd stop probably. There's only a band for about five years, I think. I think the last. It was probably like the same thing that was happened with Orange the Forest. It's like people went off, we're just doing different stuff. I mean, like Rob was doing like his hardcore bands, like Rise, I think mm-hmm. it was one band he was big in. Fuck that. Into doing. And uh, Lee was doing like Skullflower stuff. He kind of like joined Skullflower for a bit. And then I just kind of started doing this instrumental stuff. It was with uh, Mike Smith from Bong, he was playing drums. And like Steve, and we just did this really like technical kind of instrumental. It was just really loud, really noisy. It was. Is this Punch Cutter? Yeah. This, oh yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot about Punch Cutter. Yeah, so that that was happening. So the it, it kind of stopped, and I think we got. We we only did we did something. The last gig was with uh, Piss Jeans and Leeds. Oh, nice. And like, it was because you and had asked us to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were just like, well, we don't really know much about Pistine so so much. And uh, but like you and it asked us to play, so we we're just like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll play. This is Un of Unicorn Love, uh, yeah, Gruel it, yeah, fame, but also he promoted a lot of gigs in Leeds and Bradford over a lot of years as well, didn't he? Yeah. So he asked us, and we we're just like, yeah, well, of course, yeah, we'll do that. So we just did that, and then it just didn't really happen anymore you know i think we had another another practice or two to see if it would work and it just like there was just nothing then i just wasn't there really so i just stopped doing that other people were doing different things so moving on from the band stuff where did the idea for the podcast come from so the obviously this podcast where where, where did that idea come from what made you want to what made you want to do um it? i don't know it was like a couple of years ago maybe 2000 17 or 18 I was like I'd listened to some podcasts I remember listening to some like earlier than that uh maybe around the time maybe 20 maybe 2014 15 I remember listening to some and not really knowing what they were or anything about them just that they were like uh just interviews or in, insights with people who were in bands who I kind of wanted to know about and then I guess around 2018 I had no idea uh, 
like how to do one or who, what I would do in a boat or anything. Just because it, it seemed like it, you need the focus for one or you, or you, you know, it's just stupid. It's just people talking about non the sh- shite. Non linear. You know I mean? It could be just boring to listen to. You. Like it's either you're either like a celebrity sort of voice or you just made something boring. But if you look at it from a more of an artistic, creative perspective, you can do that. Yeah. And that's what ended up happening. And it was like meeting, it was you and Sned again, uh, whenever I was 2019 or something. And I thought like, because we were asking him stuff about, you know. Well, we would have his... these long rambling conversations, wouldn't yeah. we? We would get together. Because I would, I would do it with Sned and then we would do it as a, as a sort of three piece where we would just... We would get together for a few hours, and as we as we always do when any of us get together, they just these long conversations go on, don't don't they? And we end up yeah. quizzing Sned on certain things, and I'll quiz you, and and and, and, yeah. and, and all these little details yeah. and these sort of like really interesting <laughs> stories come out, and then they just disappear yeah. into the ether, don't they? Yeah. So it was just like capture that, you know. It was it was it was almost just a standalone thing, really. I thought. Sned's got all this interesting stuff, and then it became more sort of interesting. These angles you could like fit it into, you know, an hour or so, and yeah, just get like an idea, like a, a better angle of something that you had a person that you knew, but you didn't really know. You might have known them fucking a long, a long time, you know, five, ten, fifteen, twenty years, whatever. You've known these people, but you don't really know. But even by his own it. admission, recently he, he, you know, as as a lot of people have done during the sort of pandemic and whatever, he's been reflecting a little bit and, and looking back at all the stuff that he's done, and kind of for the first time in his life, he's sitting back and taking stock, and that and that coincides with the book that he's been writing about the station and the garage, and I think even he realizes that, like, you know, I've, I did cover a lot of ground, you know, he's. He was in bands. He did the label. He did a lot of touring, promoting. Like he did a lot of stuff, and I think the conversations with you have really helped to draw a lot of that out as well. That's- yeah, well, it, it was unsung. It was kind of unsung, and I was thinking, "Fuck, this is like you hear these there's these podcasts, and it's always like Americans, and it's always the same fuckers on about like, the same shit. Just like the stories getting bigger and larger, like you know, and more fantastic." And everything's great, and it just like getting a perspective of like what was happening around here and what was going on in this country and these bands in like the eighties. And I'd spoken. There was like just numerous or like occasions of like seeing him and refining this idea of what we had of like the information that would be like interesting to people that would work. And it kind of like it took months of getting this idea together, and then like producing one for us both to realise that like, A, I could do one and like, you know, he could do one mm-hmm. and like B, that he would, like you were saying, like reflect on the formative years of like the, the station club and the, you know, the, the what, what things were like in the, the 80s. Yeah. And then he did the, the book and that must have kind of jogged him on a bit, like his memory to think, I need to get this stuff down, you know, because it's like it just helps get it out there. You talk about it and then you can write about it and then 
you get ideas and the new ideas and then well I can kind of do another one with someone maybe and do another one and there was just people that were I wanted to know about the people that I'd known for a while people like Mike Vest and mm-hmm. just get the kind of story behind things that was that were happening because they're not always as the same because it's at the time you only it's hard to kind of reflect back on what you were doing yourself never mind what other people were doing yeah and what their angle on things was just kind of do one see what happens you know do another one you know see if someone else wants to do one and yeah that's the whole idea all these people kind of they were around you know when i was young when i was growing up like teens 20 years on what where are these people and what they do now and like how the the idea or like ethic of doing it or like doing it yourself is how how that's progressed and things and like how it's come full circle sometimes and the way that you think about things and yeah it was just like digging to find people who haven't done that who should do that or haven't done that and just like putting it out there and it's you know it was a success just doing one really yeah and then but then you learn how to produce them and how to do these how to do these things because I'm not a fucking interview person who interviews you know I don't I don't know I mean I've done stuff where I don't really know anything about whoever it is that I'm speaking to so I'm coming at it from a perspective of like I don't really know so I'll just ask but I think one of the things it. that you're quite good at is just keeping out of the way and let them tell the tales well, and not getting the, not kind of you know interrupting too much which I think I th- probably do do that <laughs> well that's the thing you listen to stuff and you're just like fucking hell people should just shut up whoever do, you know you don't want to hear nobody wants I would just, I'm just like I'm just meant to be hidden hand I'm not looking to be famous because of anything I'm just like some guy with an interest who was asking some questions who put it together edit it and clean it up whatever in, in the best way possible and then present it and that that's it
just anything was just taken to an extreme. Like the, you know, alcohol was just nobody really drank. Like coffee was the only thing as well. But then even that was extremes because like I remember, this is funny. It was like we were on uh, down at Tony's one time, and uh, Tony was asking Robbie, was like, "Oh yeah, uh, do you want a coffee and all that?" Robbie's like, "Oh yeah, uh, can I have like." Uh, seven spoons of coffee and like nine <laughs> teaspoons of sugar please no it's like deadly yeah they were like serious though it's like oh yeah no problem yeah but and rob used to like have sugar lumps and stuff and like eat loads of sweets before we're playing and just go hyper and jesus he, he threw blood up as well one time as well he just like from what from coffee singing oh from no, singing from, all right, from doing right. His, he'd do that and do vocals and then he was just like threw blood up and stuff and you know Christ. Punk rock and everything. Well, I don't know. It's just, just daft. 